This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center. The federal government has faced increasingly complex challenges over the past two decades. These challenges range from responses to hurricanes to cyber threats, and they all require greater collaboration across traditional organizational and program boundaries. For many years, the executive branch addressed these types of challenges in an ad hoc fashion. The U.S. Congress recognized in 2010 the need to institutionalize a statutory mechanism to allow and encourage cross-agency collaboration. Today, I'll explore the importance of cross-agency collaboration as detailed in a recent IBM Center report, Cross-Agency Collaboration, a case study of cross-agency priority goals, with my colleague John Kaminsky senior fellow and author of this recent IBM Center report. John's report provides concrete evidence of the value of an institutionalized mechanism that supports working across agency boundaries. It also provides insights on ways federal leaders can improve this mechanism, both government-wide and within individual cross-agency teams for the future. John, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back. Well, thank you. It's been a while. Yes. And um, so I'd like to explore the evolution of cross-agency collaboration over the past two decades in the federal government. Uh, Would you provide us with a historical context around many of these types of initiatives around cross-agency collaboration? Well, cross-agency collaboration has been around for a long time, but it's always been sort of ad hoc. And uh, it's oftentimes been around a particular initiative or a project. So, for example, the Federal Emergency Management Agency would have a response to Katrina and need or, or Hurricane Sandy, and they would need to bring different agencies together to have a single federal face to the communities in which they're working. But this whole notion of collaboration across agencies has reached across a lot of other policy domains. So we're, we're talking about the intelligence community working across agency boundaries. We're tra- talking about in food safety working across agency boundaries and across for social uh, services, et cetera. And it's at the federal, state, and local level. And this is something that uh, is because there's an increasing complexity in how government interacts with citizens. But it's also there is an a, shift in expectations by citizens of how government will interact with them. And part of that comes from the technology that's evolved over the past couple decades, that people are now expecting different kinds of services from the private sector. They're also having that same expectation that government itself will begin to integrate 
the way it works. Yeah, and you know, some of it's uh, sometimes it's called this cross agency collaboration is dubbed like enterprise government. And I'd like for you to tell us a little bit more about what is meant by enterprise government and what are the two or so interrelated components that comprise this concept. Well. Enterprise government is another way of talking about cross-agency collaboration, but it's government acting as a, a single entity in response to so that if conceptually you went to a website for the U.S. government, you would see the range of services that you yourself would be specifically eligible for or interested in. So it wouldn't necessarily have everything in the government, but it would just have the things that, that you'd be uh, interested in. There was a, a uh, rudimentary website like that called benefits.gov that was created about a decade ago, but it was basically just pointers to different places. It wasn't actually integrating the services themselves. So there's been thought about how to do this. This is happening more probably at the state level because there's more services that are delivered at the state level, especially social services. And they'll have things like No Wrong Door in Virginia for mental health services, et cetera. So this is something that's evolving at different levels of government. But there's enterprise government in the terms of working together mission-wise. And then there's enterprise government in terms of working together across mission support. Mm -hmm. So mission support is HR and IT and acquisition. And you can create a common platform either within a department or across departments. And this is now common called shared services. Mm -hmm. So shared services is a form of enterprise government. It's a form of collaborative government. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned earlier that uh, there are certain trends that are happening, whether it's technology or citizen uh, expectation that is, uh, you know, pushing this uh, cross-agency collaboration type uh, model. But there are also, you know, bureaucratic constraints. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the institutional constraints? Well, government has been designed around a hierarchy mm -hmm. to create accountability and responsibility to citizens. And so we have the Congress has appropriations and the appropriations are targeted to specific programs. And if programs want to work together, they have to be able to combine uh, across appropriation accounts, and many times that's not possible. The, the other thing is that there's the authorizing statutes for money programs mm -hmm. that are treated every, everything as a program and not a suite of programs that can be worked as an enterprise approach to citizens. So the government is designed to work in pieces that are accountable in a hierarchical structure upwards, and a collaborative approach means that you want to deal with government horizontally, a cutting across programs, cutting across agencies. And the government's not designed to do that. And that's because the accountability structure is, is done that way. So if you look at, at there's you know, several dozen laws in different agencies that were created by different committees and are funded through different streams of money to uh, create permits and uh, permissions to build infrastructure. Some of it's out of EPA, some of it's out of interior, some of it's out of transportation. And yet, when you're trying to build a bridge, all these laws come together and sometimes they conflict or sometimes they have to be done in sequence as opposed to in parallel. And it can take years to do a project that on the face of it would look very simple and straightforward, 
But it's very complex because of the different statutes and different authorities and different agencies. So the, the challenge is how do you begin working this together from the customer or the user or the regulated entity's perspective so that it's not this uh, seemingly uh, endless do-loop? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so one way of doing that uh, was the creation or the passage of the GPRA Modernization Act of 2010. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? One of the things that evolved prior to 2010 were, uh, the, were these ad hoc working groups to, to get the, the Government Performance and Results Act of 93 shifted the focus of many programs and the government from focusing on spending money and doing activities to organizing around results to be achieved. And those results oftentimes reached across agency boundaries. And what they found was that there's no statutory authority to work across agency boundaries on a regular basis. could be done ad hoc. One agency takes the lead or something like that. But if you wanted to create some sort of institutional mechanism to do that, uh, you couldn't through statu- until the uh, 2010 law was, was passed. And that law required the Office of Management Budget to identify a small handful of cross-agency priority goals that the administration would take on for a four-year period. And, and so some of those had to be mission support and some of them mission delivery. And so they piloted the, that during the remainder of the first term of President Obama. And then they did the first full set in his second term because the four years are to be coterminous with a, a, a term of office. And so the first – and that's what I assessed, the first full round of, of uh, cross-agency priority goals. In the pilot stage, they developed some mechanisms and tested them out, and then they wound up uh, applying them in in the second phase. So what happened was that the the law requires establishing goals, and then it requires this designation of a goal leader. So there's a human being as opposed to some institution that's sort of uh, put in charge. And then there would be quarterly progress reports – uh, that would be made to a uh, council or, or a group of, of uh, senior government officials. Oftentimes, it's like the director of OMB and maybe White House and, and others uh, on the progress. And then the summary of that is to be posted on the web for public viewing so that the public can see what the accountability is and the progress uh, around each of the goals. So the first round full round had 15 goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to talk about those. You, you you mentioned in your report, you identify those 15 for the fiscal year uh, 2014 to 2017. Mm-hmm. What were those uh, cap goals? Well, there were two sets, as I mentioned. Uh, some of them were around mission support and some were around mission delivery. The, the law requires some specific kinds of mission support things. So it would be around people and IT and acquisition, et cetera. And then uh, it leaves it open as to what the the mission delivery-related goals might be or policy goals. The perspective of OMB was that the selection of the goals should be around things that are already funded. It's not new policy that hasn't been developed yet, but it's the implementation, not the design of policy. And so it's things that already exist, that already have statutory authority or executive order uh, behind it, and that in some cases may already have a pre-existing uh, network of uh, players 
that either have worked together or are about to, to work together, and that it's not really a contentious thing that would wind up being in a political scene, but rather it's just implementing things that need to get done. So, for example, uh, one of the cross-cutting goals that they had was delivering world-class customer service. Mm -hmm. And they worked with a subset of agencies and a subset of services to to do that. Another was uh, to buy uh, as uh, one across the government, and they call this category management. And what it is is categories of common goods and services that could be purchased by the government as opposed to uh, by agencies. An example was that hundreds of uh, contracts were being signed for uh, cell phone service or uh, smart, uh, internet service and stuff for, for mobile phones, and yet there's only four providers. And so by the government coming in as a as a entity or as an enterprise and studying which are the best uh, mixes of services. So we're buying as a whole as opposed to hundreds of separate contracts, sometimes offered through resellers that you then wind up have markups and all this. Stuff. So this notion of, of a single uh, uh, buyer. And then some that are on the mission delivery side is uh, working on uh, job-creating investments. Uh, one of the things that, that the Commerce Department had an initiative on was increasing foreign investment in the U.S. for U.S. jobs. And uh, a lot of times the permits and stuff that are needed to be able to, to work or deliver services here in the U.S. required uh, permits from State Department, from Commerce Department, and from other agencies. And there was no coordinating mechanism to do this. And so this was something that was coordinated through the um, uh, cross-agency priority goal. Another one was uh, strengthening federal cybersecurity across all agencies. And there was an existing initiative. A subset of that initiative was declared to be a cross-agency priority goal so they could create a focus with specific metrics on it. That's great. When you look across the 15 CAP goals, and your report does a wonderful job of this, you identify some characteristics and make some observations. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about those? Well, one of the things that uh, we saw in the CAP goals was that some of the goals were fairly mature and we're along the way. So, so for example, in cybersecurity, there was an executive order. There was already a, an existing team uh, that worked across agencies, et cetera. And the, the goal was to focus on a subset to really sort of get some things moving quickly. What I thought was interesting was that uh, the governance structure was in place for most of the 15 prior to them being designated. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting that you would have an interagency open data working group and you know, a steering committee on federal infrastructure permitting and review. But there was a lot of times these were groups that got together to talk about things but not necessarily do things. And I think the cross-agency priority goal created this, this implementation is how do we get something done together as opposed to how do we just communicate and coordinate. The other thing that I thought was also interesting was that uh, a third of the goals – actually wound up being revised during the four-year period because the world changed. So, for example, there was a, a particular goal looking at insider threat, reducing insider threats. And after the shooting of the Navy Yard, it went from just cybersecurity to actual physical security. And then after the Office of Personnel Management data breach, it shifted back to cybersecurity. So, so real-world events can influence 
how these goals are structured, managed, and, and the cadence that they follow through on. Uh, another one is uh, the VA goal that they had on looking at uh, mental health uh, issues. And with the increase in uh, veteran suicides, they created a special focus that, on uh, suicide prevention. And so they wound up uh, shifting that goal to focus more on uh, some things like that. The other thing I noticed was that the uh, ability to measure the, the goals – really varied. There was some where the goal description of the progress was more qualitative and some where it was actually much more quantitative. I thought it was very interesting. There was a goal on how do you move things from federal labs to commercial markets. And I thought, boy, that's going to be tough. But they had very interesting metrics that they were able to develop on how many patents actually wound up turning into products and stuff. But there was like a couple-year lag in the, in the data. And so that makes it harder to be a cross-agency priority goal when you have quarterly reporting on progress. So some of the reporting was like activities of meetings and reports and stuff, so which were less helpful or meaningful. But the longer-term metrics was the ones that, that I thought were, were significant. The other thing is, as I was mentioning earlier, the cross-agency priority goals in the old world of, of collaboration were around a specific project that had a beginning and a middle and an end, like recovery from uh, a hurricane or something. Uh, many of these goals are things that are long-term sustainability. So in some cases, this is kind of like the, the being designated as a, as a cross-agency priority goal is a kickstart of creating a core uh, uh, team that's able to work together on a sustainable basis over time. And that's where you can wind up, say, you can graduate from being a cross-agency priority goal. It doesn't necessarily need it, – it's not that it's not in priority any longer. It's just that it's self-sustaining and is able to, to uh, run on its own. The one, for example, the commerce example of job uh, investments from overseas – um, the Commerce Department f found that they were having trouble getting the attention of people in the State Department to work out of the embassies overseas on being basically, you know, uh, salespeople for uh, bringing jobs to the U.S. But once it was created as a cross-agency priority goal, the State Department jumped on board, and and it was because there was high-level White House interest on in what's going on, and the career. Uh, State Department uh, foreign service people were actively engaged in this. And so so that was something that just by designating something that had been pre-existing as a priority goal where there was attention, people were going to then uh, spend more time and, and prioritize on it. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting was that these were designated early in the second term and there was no funding associated because there was no statutory authority there was statutory authority to have funding um but it just never happened so most of these uh, goals didn't get some sort of financial support uh specifically as cross agency priority goal until the last year of the administration so it was like march or april of 2016 and then that meant that they were able to hire a full-time executive director or something like that now each of these programs had different kinds of funding streams prior to that, and some of them were able to do that um, under previous legislative authority. But some of these, like customer service, there was no uh, no place to do that. So so that 
was able to get some of these goals that had sort of been uh, uh, marching time to actually be able to move forward quickly in at least the last year. How were the initial cap goals implemented? We'll explore this question and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. Listen next week for a special edition of the Business of Government magazine with host Michael Keegan as he explores key trends in government management and highlights insights from host of government executives who are changing the way the government does business. That's next week on the Business of Government magazine, a special edition on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center Reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with John Kaminsky, senior fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government and author of the IBM Center Report, Cross-Agency Collaboration, a case study of cross-agency priority goals. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. So, John, um, what was the process you used to develop the uh, first uh, round of cap goals, and uh, what selection criteria was used in 2013? Well, that, that was actually kind of interesting because there were some predecessor pilot goals that had been uh, selected early on when the, the new law had been passed, but the first full set of goals was at the beginning of the second term. And... Uh, they were developed during the summer of 2013, and at that point, the director of OMB was new. The deputy director for OMB had just been uh, named but wasn't kind of in place yet. And, and so this was actually a career-led thing in, in, in good part. And uh, so it was OMB career staff that was sort of the behind uh, getting this thing off the ground. That summer of 2013, the president had a cabinet meeting and announced this as uh, something that they were going to create a management agenda. And there was this like this scramble to do something. And the new director of OMB wanted to, you know, move this along. And the Office of Science and Technology Policy actually was one of the sponsors for getting this thing moving along with OMB. Steve Van Rokel, who at the time was the federal chief information officer, was also the acting deputy director for management. So, so this was sort of a, an interesting time in that it was a transition between leaders and the new incoming leaders weren't quite there and the people that were there began to tee up ideas and stuff. Uh, talking with some people that were in the, these brainstorming session, they were doing stickies on the wall and moving things around and trying to decide what is it that the administration wanted to be able to say these are our big ideas or big goals that we want to ensure is achieved by the end of the uh, second term. So, John, you in your report um, make some conclusions uh, about the early operations of the cap goals. Can you elaborate on those? Sure. First of all, 
the selection process and the criteria used to select what would be uh, the criteria or the cap goals is uh, a really Im- important thing uh, uh, to do that because you, if you pick the wrong kinds of things, you may not get action. If you get things that, that aren't mature enough to be able to actually stuff because the policy is not in place or something that is contentious or and you won't get funded by Congress or something like that. So uh, the selection and, uh, process and criteria are important. And uh, it's... Uh, largely oftentimes of little interest to the political leaders mm-hmm. as to what some of these are. So you have to sort of make sure that you don't pick things that they're going to say, I don't want to spend time in meetings on, on progress reports. So you've got to pick something that, that captures their imagination. That's the first. The second is that in the first round of of uh, cap goals in the pilot phase, they designated an individual to be the lead. And they found that it was important to have two leads, co-leads, one that was out of the White House, whether it was OMB or White House staff or White House policy councils, and someone from an agency so that there was actual connection to the real works. So you didn't have a policy person to lead uh, something that has an implementation component to it. So this joint leadership, oftentimes it was a deputy secretary that was designated as a co-lead on and many of these goals. Uh, the other thing that they found out is that uh, you need to have some sort of capacity to be able to do something. You need to have some staff to turn to. And that was something that, again, as I mentioned earlier, there wasn't funding until 2016 for a number of these goals, but some of them had people that were working on these and that those that had full-time staff dedicated to them were able to make far more progress than those where it was an additional duty as assigned. This notion of having some sort of overall ownership of the mission focused goals was a, a, a bit of a uh, challenge in that OMB and the President's Management Council were able to ensure there was cohesive progress around the mission support goals. But there wasn't somebody that was the champion for mission delivery goals. OMB would have to go ask people to do stuff. And if you're, you know, one of the uh, goal leads, for example, was uh, an a, uh, assistant chief of staff of the White House. So you, you can't they, – they weren't in a position to be able to say, you need to turn this report in or something like that. So while they were doing stuff, it wasn't able – they weren't able to, uh, like, get, get some sort of cohesive uh, direction over the mission delivery uh, goals that, that were in the uh, first round. So as you point out, I mean, none of this would be possible without teams of people. And so the next question I was really wanted to talk about was um, how did the agencies effectively collaborate on the CAP goals? And what were some of the elements that went into the effectiveness of these teams? Well, uh, first of all, it's important to have some authority to act. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, there were laws that tied this stuff together, but also executive orders. So you needed to have, for example, in the uh, people and culture goal, uh, the one of the elements was to streamline hiring authority. There was a presidential directive to help bolster that, so they weren't on their own. Uh, in the goal that looked at uh, streamlining the infrastructure process, there was an executive order. Subsequently, there was a law that reinforced that. So to the extent that there was authority to act so that the the goal leader had somebody to – something to, to work from, 
Um, the other was uh, having uh, a goal leader that was more than just other duties as assigned. And that's where having a joint goal leader and having the ability to uh, have a full-time uh, career person to help run the thing uh, make, made a difference. Examples like Anne Rung, who was the head of the other Office of Federal Procurement Policy, she was the champion for the category management cross-agency priority goal. And she really ran forward with that. The other was uh, Dave Mater, who was the controller at the Office of Management and Budget. He really ran forward with the shared services cross-agency priority goal. So, to the ex- or, And in the case of uh, Carolyn Colvin, who was the acting commissioner of Social Security, she was the champion for the uh, customer service goal. So where you have goal leaders that invest time and work and have a, a, a staff support, you really get a lot more progress uh, on doing that. So, so those are some of the things that are really important. You touched on this earlier, but I want to put a finer point on it. Is what happened or what happens when a cap goal matures? Well, when a cap goal but that's sort of a, a qualitative thing is when, <laughs> is when it matures. Uh, but what's, what the OMB thinks is that uh, at some point it's not appropriate to continue the next round. So if it was a four-year round, do you do it for eight years? Do you do it for 12 years? At some point you just say, let's pause on having this designated as a cross-agency priority goal. Continue the uh, network, continue the work, just we're going to designate something else as a cross-agency priority goal. And that will be interesting to see how the, the Trump administration's next round of uh, cross-agency priority goals uh, evolves, as to whether there's much overlap or whether it's completely different. And we don't know yet. What has been the impact of the initial cap goals? We'll explore this question and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with John Kaminsky, senior fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government and author of the IBM Center Report, Cross-Agency Collaboration, a case study of cross-agency priority goals. 
I'm Michael Keegan, your host. Uh, so, John, uh, successful implementation of individual CAP goals is premised on a effective cross-functional team that span organizational boundaries, as you point out in your report. How is the federal government, and you kind of touched on this a little bit with, with several of your examples, building capacity internal to, to take on these cross-agency collaborative initiatives? A number of years ago, one of my heroes, uh, Thad Allen, who was the head of the Coast Guard, led cross-agency initiatives, the recovery from Katrina, the uh, deep water uh, oil spill, the Haitian earthquake response. And when he retired, I asked him, where are the next Thad Allens that can work mm -hmm. across agency boundaries? And he said, there is no mechanism in the government to create that. Well, uh, in 2014, um, President Obama signed an executive order based on a review of reforming the senior executive service. And in the executive order, they talked about the need to create this pipeline or this cadre of people that had cross-agency uh, management experience because most people work in an agency and rarely have this experience opportunity to do that. So there was something called the, the White House Leadership Development Program, and it was People that are uh, at a GS-15 level uh, on the edge of uh, uh, their SES candidate uh, material that are nominated by their deputy secretary for a year-long stint to work at OMB and GSA. And basically, they wind up working as the staff cohort behind the cross-agency priority goals. And so having people that are at the staff level working on these things and they – when they created this program, they made sure that the people that were designated to work on a goal didn't have that as their prior background. So they're trying to push people out of their comfort zone to learn the tools as opposed to the substance and how do you work and become basically a neutral broker. So somebody, for example, that was doing the science, technology, engineering, and math goal of increasing the number of uh, students that graduate uh, with a science-related degree in this country, reaching across something like 200 different programs. And these programs had their little niche and stuff. This person came in as a neutral convener across all these different uh, different disciplines and was seen as trustworthy as that because she didn't have some axe to grind in math or science or physics or something like that. So, so it actually turned out to work. And so they're building these cadres uh, or cohorts year after year and they're going to ultimately over the years – have a cadre of people, a co uh, of, of staff in the government that have had this cross-agency experience and then will be able to have those kind of, of capacities and tools. This is being run in, uh, as a separate program out of GSA. It works with the, the um, Performance Improvement Council. But the Performance Improvement Council and the President's Management Council also are sponsoring their own kinds of uh, developmental programs at lower levels. And so, again, there's just developing a longer-term uh, capacity building across the government in doing this. What I think may happen at some point is that given all that's going on is some sort of step back and lessons learned. And I think that they're maybe not quite uh, at, at that level yet. Mm -hmm. The other is that um, over the past couple decades, there have been laws to create cross-agency councils like 
the chief information officers council and the chief financial officers council. And those councils sort of ran independently with their own statutory authority. In the Obama administration, they created an umbrella office that ran or staffed all of these different things. And this is called the Office of Executive Counsel. And they have been the, a, a new nucleus of where you can do cross-agency stuff on the mission support side. Very nice. You, you, you know, I want to get into um, how – what was the process for internal external reviews and reporting that took place for those cap goals? Well, the law requires quarterly progress reports. And so they've created – uh, something like uh, performance stat or, okay. or, or, or these sit-down sessions where they talk through the strategy and talk through the progress uh, that they're making and where the, what the challenges are and what those people sitting around the table, which are high-level uh, uh, people, oftentimes political appointees, is what they can do to help break down barriers or, or mm-hmm. change uh, strategies and new executive orders or do they need to be able to do something like that. And so... Uh, that's done internally on a quarterly basis. And in the past administration, the deputy director for management sat in on virtually every one of them. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, the director of OMB and a number of cases, heads of White House policy councils and, and others. So it was treated seriously at a very senior level. And they made a lot of uh, progress that way of being able to, to bring things together. For example, um, and, and then the other thing is that you have to publish something on a website that uh, OMB had set up. It was performance.gov, and they're in the process now of reformulating it. Uh, and so there are quarterly reports. And, and some of the things, for example, the, the people in culture camp goal, their, their efforts to increase employees' engagement with their work, um, they had a focus on that. Uh, over the four-year period, and engagement had been on decline as a government-wide uh, effort. But but uh, with managerial training and uh, between 2014 and 15, 57 percent of the bureaus in the government increased their engagement scores. And it's because there was a focus on this on a government-wide basis. And um, so, so – and in the case of the climate change goal, and then that – it wasn't – all climate change. It was basically energy efficiency in the government. And uh, they had clear outcome goals as to how uh, direct greenhouse gas emissions uh, had declined by uh, more than 17 percent over a couple-year period because there was a focus on it. Mm -hmm. That's great. So, you know, uh, that gets to my next question. And it's a more holistic question, more general question, is what has been the impact of cap goals? Well, the the thing that I don't know whether it's good or bad, but I, the the step back snapshot that I had is that there have been tangible, but not necessarily quantitative uh, achievements of, of uh, effort in both the mission and the mission support areas. And I raised this with some folks in OMB, and they said, "Well, the goal is to make progress. It's not necessary to meet a target, and that." A lot of this is trying to get people to work together to achieve something as opposed to achieving some sort of uh, quantitative target. And I said, well, okay, but it's nice to be able to measure things quantitatively. So some of the goals, it was fairly straightforward to be able to s- determine. So, for example, the cybersecurity goal, did all the departments meet their um, requirements of, of uh, achieving the cybersecurity requirements? 
compliance and stuff. But compliance is different than actually did cybersecurity uh, problems go away or mm-hmm. reduce. So, so it's sort of odd like that. Um, but the other is that um, you, you have a look at and for the mission support uh, goals, typically what happened was that uh, their overall uh, success was they – uh, created more standardization, there was consolidation of duplicative services, and there was cost savings. So those are the kinds of things in the cross-agency goals that were related to mission support. You can say those kinds of things happen, and you can provide some metrics uh, related to that. Uh, there was a goal on uh, smarter IT delivery, and they had this dashboard that they were able to track uh, the savings over time of reducing duplicative service. For the mission's focus cap goals, the progress and outcomes were, as I mentioned, a little bit more diffuse, but some of them were actually measurable. Uh, the infrastructure permitting uh, cap goal was to uh, how do you better navigate the labyrinth of um, individual infrastructure projects. And they created this permitting dashboard where all the different agencies could see where a particular project was at. As as well as the people that were running the project, they could see where the government agencies were at. So this was a really uh, beneficial platform. It's not that they wound up eliminating regulations or anything. They just made this transparent and they could see where the different players are. Who do you call whenever you run into something? Mm-hmm. So so those kinds of things, while it wasn't quantitative, was able to uh, move the ball forward. So going from you know impact, the statutory creation of cap goals um, has been beneficial in several ways. Uh, would you identify some of those benefits? Well, sure. One is that improved uh, governance and process uh, governance and processes for cross agency collaboration. Uh, the shared services uh, designate goal designation uh, led to a more formalized approach to governing shared services. They wound up creating a unified shared services management office in GSA with a cross agency board to governance, so they could create a standardized approach to bringing agencies on board to using shared services. So they created this overall cross agency strategic vision and pr- approach and plan, and put in place the process for actually moving that forward. So that. That's pretty concrete. So th- that's a, a, the governance thing. The other is that, that this uh, creation of this new capacity to govern across agency boundaries, as I was mentioning, mm-hmm. the training and the experience opportunities for uh, developing a- executives uh, was something that was new. And then the other thing I thought was interesting is it encourages cross-agency collaboration beyond the cap goals. So uh, there's cross-agency collaboration that's going on in other domains um, the incident command system that's been used for emergency response uh, is, is one. The, the statutory cross-agency councils. So what it does is it's kind of uh, inspired mm-hmm. uh, other things. So it's it, the, the impact or reach is beyond the, just the cross-agency priority goals themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, has the establishment of the CAP goal system uh, made a similar impact, and this may be a stretch, but I wanted to offer it up as the Goldwater Nichols Act of of eighty six, um, which allowed the which required the military to collaborate uh, more and work more effectively together in a joint capacity. Are they the same, or are they going in the right direction? Um, I think that there's an analogy there, okay. but the other analogy is that was eighty six. Yeah. And it took 20, 30 years. <laughs> and so the cross-agency priority goals, it's only been there in place for eight, six or eight years. Mm-hmm. So I think it's moving in that direction. But uh, there needs to be continued leadership and emphasis on this as being 
uh, a worthwhile direction. Yeah. So, John, you know, uh, your report highlights uh, the GAO identified uh, a set of prerequisites, which I think are very interesting if you could go over them, for effective cross-agency collaboration. Um, would you highlight those prerequisites for our audience? Sure. Uh, GAO did this report uh, back in, what was it, 2005 or so. So it was actually before the CAP goals. And what they did is they looked at existing cross-agency priority or, or cross-agency initiatives and came up with a, a set of, of um, necessary elements for a collaborative working relationship. So GAO has kind of been uh, an intellectual support for cross-agency um, initiatives over the decades, the past couple decades. And so uh, it talks about things like defining a common outcome, uh, establishing mutually uh, reinforceable joint strategies. Uh, it's agreeing on roles and responsibility. So these are all things that implicitly have been uh, embedded into the current uh, set of cross-agency priority goal implementation. Uh, this notion of reinforcing individual accountability for collaborative efforts uh, through performance management system. That's something that's still a stretch, but uh, it's something that has been piloted in, in, in some of the uh, areas. How can we improve the implementation of the next round of the cross-agency priority goals? We'll explore this question and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. Listen next week for a special edition of the Business of Government magazine with host Michael Keegan as he explores key trends in government management and highlights insights from host of government executives who are changing the way the government does business. That's next week on the Business of Government magazine, a special edition on the Business of Government Hour, the Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with John Kaminsky, senior fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government and author of the IBM Center Report, Cross-Agency Collaboration, a case study of cross-agency priority goals. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. So, John, your report identifies a couple of recommendations for improving the CAP uh, goal system. Would you identify some of the potential improvements you've you've noted? Sure. Standing back and just looking at this, uh, I made some qualitative judgments on my case as to what I thought would be useful for the uh, Trump administration as they're developing their cross-agency priority goals, which, by the way, are due in February okay. to be uh, publicly announced. Part uh, as part of the budget, okay. yeah, and and that's following the the statute. The statute uh, has that as embedded in there. Um, the first is that I think it's important to have uh, bolder goals. Mm -hmm. That uh, if you have bolder goals, it'll capture the imagination of the political leaders, 
And that way, they're more likely to be active uh, executive champions of those goals and in, be uh, active participants in the quarterly review meetings and in between. And uh, so I think that those that have been slower floundering were things that weren't really that exciting or interesting. Important, but not exciting. So, for example, implementing the uh, new uh, amendments to the Freedom of Information Act. I, I think it's really hard to get, like, deputy secretaries in a room <laughs> to say, let's really talk about this. It's important, yeah. and it is a, a, a cross-agency thing, but is that something that and a new administration coming in would say, yes, I want to grab that as one of the things I, I uh, claim a, a, uh, a, a legacy on. So uh, my guess is that, that picking something that's bold and exciting uh, could be uh, an important thing. And in the case of the uh, Trump administration, he did pick one. So he's already back in August uh, designated the uh, infrastructure oh, yes, permit streamlining thing. And that's tied back to a major commitment that he's made. So having priority goals that tie back to something that people are committed to and passionate about makes this uh, really important. The second is that uh, having designated leadership of the mission-focused cap goals – the mission support cap goals, I think, have good dedicated leadership and the deputy director for management of OMB and the president's management council. Those others that are led out of, of White House policy councils, and stuff, there's not somebody that sort of is the grand owner or shepherd of, of that. Um, what I was envisioning uh, some years ago was that the White House would have a deputy chief of staff for implementation. Oh, and mm -hmm. the Obama administration, after the um, healthcare.gov website problem, actually designated somebody in that role. They shifted somebody from a deputy uh, uh, White House chief of staff for policy to implementation. And that implementation role person uh, I th did not take on this particular thing because th that wasn't uh, in her particular per but she was actually the deputy goal lead, or one of the uh, co-goal leaders of one of the goals for, for uh, veterans' health, uh, uh, mental health issues. So having somebody at that level sort of oversee all of the seven or eight or however many and be able to make those uh, coalesce is something that I think is needed uh, and, and it can't probably be done out of OMB mm -hmm. because these are led by – White House policy councils and others that are peers of OMB. So when we can't say you need to turn in this report or you need to have this meeting or something, somebody else needs to be able to do that. And the third is this notion of building capacity, continuing to build capacity to do cross-agency uh, staff, training people to do that, giving people experiences to do that, and uh, this stuff at the Performance Improvement Council out of the council, uh, the Office of Executive Councils, the White House Leadership Development, the pieces are there. And it's a matter of just continuing that and, and uh, moving that forward. Now, that's a perfect governance kind of improvement. But uh, what about operational level? Well, it, yeah, that's, so you go from the government-wide strategic yeah. approach down to what are the actual 15 or so, however many they are, teams do – and I think that one of the lessons is that you really need to create a program management office of real – somebody that's in charge full time. Okay. 
Uh, those that didn't have full-time staff didn't make as much progress as those that did. Uh, the customer service never really – I mean they had a real power, a passionate champion uh, out of Social Security – but she didn't have a team. To, to, and part of that was because they didn't have funding and part of it is just that there was no infrastructure there uh, that, that proceeded. Uh, but those that did have full-time staff, uh, like the insider threat, like the cybersecurity, um, those really made a tremendous amount of progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third... Or the second thing for the uh, at the team level is to create some sort of interagency agreements. Now, that could be problematic because then lawyers like to get involved. <laughs> but this notion of having something written as to what people's roles and responsibilities are is important because the membership of these teams rotate, and so you don't want to have to like start from scratch every time. Uh, somebody gets promoted or somebody leaves government or somebody gets, rotates off, you want to have some sort of agreement that that creates some sustainability. I think if you look at well, what's been going on with the shared services uh, approach uh, out of GSA, they have a designated team. They have a board that's governing. That, that, that there you have that kind of sustainability that will reach across uh, time. And then finally, the other is to encourage resource sharing. Not all the money will come from the central, and it shouldn't. Uh, one of the things that we saw in other countries is that to the extent that agencies commit their own resources, whether it's people or dollars, they tend to be much more actively involved because they've got some skin in the game. So I think that having resource sharing and uh, having an interagency written agreement and then having uh, a full-time team are critical elements of having a um, the successful uh, cross-agency priority goal team. So, you know, you mentioned earlier and from your perspective, I'm wondering if uh, you mentioned uh, the infrastructure being a big priority for this current administration and the permitting um, aspect of it, getting it done um, as a potential as a potential for a cap goal. Um, are there are you seeing anything on the street, so to speak, uh, any other areas of interest that you think the uh, Trump administration will be pursuing? Uh, it's kind of yeah, it, it's kind of hard to to it, guess on that. My my guess is there will be something in the, the uh, human capital people dimension, simply because that's such a critical element of uh, government moving forward. Um, but I really don't have uh, guesses for some of the others. And, and I think that's, that the, the, the administration actually has developed uh, these goals. They are in the uh, upcoming budget. So the staff – at the staff level, it's known because they, they're starting to do training sessions and they're starting to pull people together. Okay. So – but I just don't know on what specific okay. topics they are and I think it's appropriate for me not to know. Oh, yeah. And, and they're building on – from yeah. your perspective, they're building on the foundation that was laid – before too, and that is actually a very interesting point. Okay, um, since the '93 Government Performance Results Act, like twenty-five years ago, uh, each administration came in with its own vision of how performance management would be done, and so they would spend the first term creating a new system and communicating it and training and getting everything and then sort of have a little bit of time left to implement it. Mm-hmm. The Trump administration is the first 
to adopt the existing system. And I think that by doing that, they're going to give themselves a three- or four-year run room. There's monies that have been appropriated to do cross-agency goals for the first time, and it took the, the Obama administration seven years to get to that point. There's staff that did the Performance Improvement Council, that took three or four years to get to that point. So they're taking this stuff that's there, and they're applying their own priorities as opposed to creating a new system from scratch and starting over. So I think that there's a, uh, a real opportunity to get some uh, cool things to happen. I hope they all have a copy of your report because it really does show the value of this uh, infrastructure and the system. How did you conduct your research before you close? I, I started actually as um, my uh, IBM Center blog and thought, well, let me do a blog post on one of the cross-agency priority goals. And then I sort of got addicted and wound up <laughs> doing all 15. It took me over a year to, to do them because I had to research some of these things. What I thought was interesting is what was on the – Performance.gov website is their quarterly progress report, really just scratched the surface of the richness of what was going on. And so I had to wind up doing uh, interviews and dig down and, and uh, look beyond just what was available on the website. The National Academy for Public Administration held a series of forums uh, around uh, cross-agency priority goals that provided some very useful context, as well as the uh, Government Performance Coalition, which meets monthly and is uh, reaching across uh, a lot of go good government groups, and they talked about this. So it was tapping into a lot of, of different sources, and it was kind of fun doing the research. This was the first time in the 17 years I've been with the IBM Center that I've actually written a report. So uh, for me, this was uh, an, an interesting experience. I now got to see what it was like to be on the other side of all the comments and, <laughs> and helpful suggestions and edits, but, et cetera. What you normally do, yes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Now, I want to make a plug for this report, but also if you have a chance, check out John's blog posts every week or at least two, two times a week. He puts in some really good insight out there. John, can folks follow you on Twitter as well? Yes, uh, J.M. Kamensky, that's uh, K-A-M-E-N-S-K-Y. And uh, I uh, am pushing 1,500 followers. So well, I'm getting we're going to make it another 1,500 after this airs. Three or four more, that's all. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks, John. It's always great to have you. Thank you, Michael. This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with John Kamensky, senior fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government, an author of the IBM Center Report, Cross-Agency Collaboration, a case study of the cross-agency priority goals. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. Listen next week for a special edition of the Business of Government magazine with host Michael Keegan as he explores key trends in government management and highlights insights from a host of government executives who are changing the way the government does business. That's next week on the Business of Government magazine, a special edition on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.